Cause sometimes I be right. Hello! Welcome to the show! <laughs> what up? What up, Cyber Family? I'm feeling good. And to be honest with you, I'm not feeling good at all. <laughs> uh, I'm sick, man. These kids, I'm telling you, you have kids, they go to school, preschool, daycare, wherever they go. There's kids around, there's germs, there's sick. I went to a, a, a kid's birthday party also on Sunday. And uh, when I tell you, man, every kid in there was coughing, gagging. <laughs> Just kids are the worst. <laughs> but hey, listen, listen, listen. Enough of that. Uh, you know, not everyone that listens to this is a parent. Uh, whew, man. So let's get to the let's get to the nitty gritty. Look, so like I said, I got a cold. I'm not feeling the best. Trash Can Studios is especially cold. Uh, winter has arrived in the Northeast. Uh, I'm freezing my tukis off. So this is going to be short and sweet. <laughs> I know. This is going to be a quick one. As we wind down to the end of the NFL season. That damn bird. Listen, I just want you guys to know, I don't like to cut out the reality of life, right? Like Trash Can Studios. Uh, you'll hear birds outside from time to time, right? Or in my case, every single time I try to record. I've been out here for like an hour, right? Working on some stuff, getting stuff ready, and no noise, no birds, no nothing. And then as soon as I hit record, here come the birds. I can't catch a break. So let's get right into it. Welcome back, Cyber Family. If this is your first time joining us, Welcome. This is Sometimes I'd Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally! (coughs) 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 All this cold. So here's what I want to start with. I want to start right where we ended last week. Um, And I got to say, yes, I'm a Cowboys fan. Yes, I'm going to go in in depth on the Cowboys and my feelings on the loss and what they should do going forward. I will 100% deep dive into that. But I want to start with the Giants and the Eagles. All right. So last week, um, Daniel Jones was getting a lot of love going into the game for the way he performed against Minnesota. And I came in here and for what, a lot of people may have sounded like hate. I may have come in here and sounded like a wet blanket raining on your parade, saying it's really not that impressive. He played well, but nah. Started saying how this entire year he's been, they've been saying he's elevated his play. And I said, nah, he's been pretty consistent, pretty much what he has been. And that came across as hate. And so I would like to apologize and say, look, I, I apologize if if I offended you. <laughs> Not really, but, you know, whatever. But what I really want to say is I promise you it's not hate. And I think sometimes when I'm going against the flow uh, of of sports traffic, it sometimes come across as me trying to poo-poo on somebody. I like Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones is a very solid player. I think 
you can make a real argument that given a good situation, he could be every bit as good, if not better, than Dak Prescott. But what I will say is he's not great. He's not above average. He's right in the middle of the road. If you were ranking quarterbacks, he'd fall somewhere between 15 and 20 in the league. I lied. 15 to 25. (laughs) I'll let you argue me he's as high as the 15th best and as low as the 25th best, but that's probably the range he's going to stay in, right in the middle of the road. Like, he's not terrible. He's not bad. But I felt like against the Eagles on Saturday, the case was proven once again that Daniel Jones has been remarkably consistent. Regardless of what you believe, good or bad, if you think Daniel Jones is a bad player, then he's been consistently bad. If you think he's a good player, he's been consistently good. What I won't allow you to say is that this season he showed to be much better than his previous three. I don't believe it. My eyes don't tell me that. And then I go look at the numbers to say, hey, maybe I'm seeing it. But that's just, I have biased eyes, but the numbers back up what my eyes are seeing. And that, my friends, is how you use stats. (laughs) You use the stats to back up what you're saying, not to be what you're saying, right? So Daniel Jones on Saturday was 15 for 27, 135 yards and a pick. And they lost 38 to 7. Well, a few weeks ago, they played the Eagles and they lost 48 to 22. Another beatdown that wasn't close. And in that game, he was 18 for 27, 169 yards and a touchdown. Same amount of pass attempts. Close to the same amount of yards, three extra completions and a touchdown. So what was the difference? The difference in these two games is exactly what the difference has been all year, which is, ready? A turnover. That was it. That was the difference. He didn't throw an interception in the first game. He threw one this game. That's been Daniel Jones' whole turnaround. He just threw less interceptions. That's it. Run the ball more instead of trying to make a throw. That's been the difference with Daniel Jones this year versus the previous three. He's not any better. He was just coached to say, don't try to make a throw in a tight window. Just run. Because this game on Saturday, he ran six times for 24 yards. And in the last game, it was four times for 26 The same guy, the same player. The numbers all validate what I'm saying, that Daniel Jones has been the same guy. The difference this year and why it may have looked different to you, if you're a fan or if you're someone who just kind of sees the Giants winning games and, well, Daniel Jones didn't throw a pick because that's what some people do. His rating's up because he didn't turn the ball over. Why? Because instead of trying to make a tough throw, like quarterbacks often do, He just ran instead, which is why his rushing attempts were double. And yet you got the same production in the pass game. 
because instead of trying to fit it in, he took off and ran. And look, I'm not knocking him. That's probably what you should do. But the really good quarterbacks can make that throw and routinely make that throw that make you say, wow. Daniel Jones will very rarely make throws that make you say, whoa. Instead, he has to be play it cool, play it safe, run if you have to, don't take unnecessary chances. And that's been the difference in Daniel Jones. It's not a knock. It's not hate. I think he's good. I think he's right in the middle of the road. You could do a lot worse. You could do a lot better. If you're stuck with Daniel Jones, there's worse options. You can win games with Daniel Jones. Every once in a while, he'll be able to win a game for you. But you're not going to consistently rely on him to do so. It's just the way it is. Apologies to you if that offends you, but that's just the reality. And he's coming up on a contract. So you're either going to franchise him or you're going to have to pay. And I don't think anyone, even Giants fans, would say we would pay him $30 million a year. That's rough. That's a tough task. That's a tough ask. I don't think you'd do it. And that's why I say let's let's judge him appropriately and properly and just say he's right in the middle. The next thing I want to talk about was, was I wrong about the Eagles? I came in and I said for weeks that I don't buy into the Eagles. I think they're one and done. I think they are overrated. I think they are overhyped. I think because they're winning games, everyone's saying how great they are, but I don't find them great. That's what I was saying. Was I wrong? Was I wrong? I don't think so. Yeah, yes, I was. <laughs> I was a little wrong, right? Like, I was a little harsh in my criticism of them. I was a little bit um, really, like, calling them out a lot when maybe I shouldn't have been. I haven't given them as much credit as they deserve. Their offense is set up to be explosive. Their offense is set up to take advantage of bad teams. That's exactly what it is. I don't think their offense will have the same production against the 49ers because I think the 49ers are going to control the run and force them to throw. And I don't think the Eagles can succeed when they're forced to be a one-dimensional team. I think their offense is dangerous because if they can get the run going and you can't just load up against the run and then the pass, well, then they could do either one and now you're off balance. Now you don't know what to do. Now they now they're controlling everything. If you can control one of those aspects, you can be very successful. And so I think the 49ers are going to be successful for that reason. But was I wrong about them? Yes, a little bit. I was a little harsh on them, and they are better than I gave them credit for. But be careful. I'm not buying into this win and how dominant they looked because they're just way better than the Giants. And the Giants looked like exactly what they were supposed to be coming into the year, which is a team who has no business being in the playoffs. So if you're going to look at that win and judge the the Eagles on that win and how well they looked in that game, come on, that's a, that's a Saturday night game at home in the playoffs coming off of a bye week. Like, come on, you had all the advantages and you're the better team. So, no, I don't I don't put a lot of stock into that win, but the team is good. They're a good team. I would like to transition over to uh, this Patrick Mahomes conversation because there's a lot of excitement 
and a lot of praise going on in the sports world about how Patrick Mahomes miraculously came back from a sprained ankle and played in that game. And what are they going to do this week? And if he can somehow go out there and get them to a Super Bowl on that bad ankle, oh my God, how impressive is that? I'm going to say not impressive at all. It's not. We've seen guys play with broken bones and fractured ribs and punctured lungs and we've seen guys play through a bunch of injuries and and not to mention we've seen quarterbacks play with gimpy ankles or a bad knee we watched philip rivers play in the playoff game with a torn acl like come on you have a sprained ankle it's a pain issue deal with the pain like (laughs) i know that's harsh to say because i'm not out there playing and it's probably super painful and i I probably couldn't play on it, but I'm I'm, I'm weak. <laughs> like, hey, what are you going to do? I'm not a quarterback. I'm not considered the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm not playing for a Super Bowl. I'm not the guy that everyone's counting on, so I don't have to play. If you if Any other quarterback in the NFL is playing this game on a bum ankle. There's not a quarterback in the league that would say, ah, I'm going to sit this game out because I have a bum angle. No, you go and you just gut it out and you do it. You tape it. You shoot it up with injections. You do whatever you got to do to get out on the field. That's what everybody would do. I just don't know why they're making a big deal about it. Like, it's so unbelievable that he would be able to go. Like, stop it. In that same game, you got Joe Burrow, who, in my opinion, has solidified himself as the best quarterback in the NFL. I, I know. Look. Patrick Mahomes might put up the flashier stats. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow is a class. We've seen this before, right? It's Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Peyton Manning always had the better stats, the better numbers. But the better quarterback is Tom Brady. He's the guy that got it done when you needed him to get it done. The guy who was always cool, calm, and collective. The guy who you never looked at and said, in tough spots, we don't know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do. And so Patrick Mahomes is going to put up all the great numbers, all the big gaudy numbers, look at his numbers, MVPs, whatever you want to give him. But when you look at quarterback play, the way Joe Burrow plays quarterback is absolutely perfect. He can make all of the throws, and he does. He puts it in a great spot. His ball placement is fantastic. He doesn't get flustered in the pocket. He doesn't make wild, crazy decisions. He doesn't panic. He doesn't care how many times he gets sacked. Uh, I heard him in an interview say that sacks sacks are an overrated stat. And he said, who cares about a third down sack? You just punt the ball away and you come back the next the next drive. So he's aware of the fact that if it's third down, I'm not going to try to make a crazy play. I'm not going to try to fit it in a tight window. I'm like he, his IQ is just so elevated. And his, his ability to play like he, he he's he's confident and he's super arrogant when it comes to his ability to play. But you also know that he's preparing like crazy. You also know that he's not shortchanging practice, preparation, film study, nothing. Nothing. His confidence and his arrogance comes from his preparation. He's a guy his entire life who was not as physically gifted as some others. So he couldn't just rely on his physical gifts, similar to Tom Brady. I think Joe Burrow might be like the best quarterback that I've seen in my life. I know that's crazy, but. It, it, it for me everything that I want in a quarterback Joe Burrow is I swear to you I I wish I wish I, I don't know how it could have happened but I wish he could be on the Cowboys I wish I would I would I don't I don't know what I'd be willing to give up anything <laughs> 
to get Joe Burrow and the Cowboys. I can't believe it. Unbelievable. Now, look, I have a cold, so I'm not feeling the best. So me saying he's the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life, yes, that's an exaggeration. There's a lot of great quarterbacks I've seen. But I think when it's all said and done, I think Joe Burrow is going to have a couple Super Bowls, a couple. And I think Joe Burrow is going to be one of those guys that you look at and say, I don't think we realize, like, how good this guy was. And and I fell in love with Joe Burrow in a spring game his first year at Ohio State. Like, that's when I was like, yo, that guy. And I didn't even know his name. So I just kept calling him, yo, number 10. I remember I went to a game at Rutgers, uh, and he was like third string. And I remember watching the game and being like, yo, that guy. Like, yo, 10 got to get in. Like, he's special. So, you know, it, it, it's just seeing it from the beginning and watching it progress. And even when he went to LSU and being like, nah, that guy's got it. And then he put it all together at LSU. And then they tried to look at him and say, well, is it just a one-year thing? Because you said the guys who have one-year spikes and he was going to be picked in the sixth round. He was a projected sixth-round pick until he came back. Yeah, that's your mistake. That's your mistake. But that that guy's got it. That guy's got it. That guy's the best in the NFL. By by every metric you want to judge a quarterback on, he's got it. And 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 when they win the Super Bowl this year, he'll have the Super Bowl title too. He'll match Mahomes in Super Bowl titles and appearances. And then what? What's the what's the argument at that point? Stats? Well, he's gonna have he has stats too. So Joe Burrow's the best in the league. I think he's solidified. I think win or lose this year, I think he is the best quarterback in the NFL. That's it. So from going from one draft prospect who elevated in his last year to another one who did not elevate in his last year and got picked last in the draft, let's talk about Brock Purdy. And I know I know that that the the entire NFL world is in love with Brock Purdy. I even said after the win that he outplayed Dak Prescott. Um here's the thing. The truth about Brock Purdy under pressure, because people will start saying he doesn't flinch. He doesn't look afraid. He doesn't look like he's bothered by anything. He's so cool, calm, and collective. Go back and watch that Cowboys game and watch when they were getting pressure on him. Watch watch how often he threw the ball into the dirt when guys were open, but he couldn't make the throw because he was under pressure and he was panicking. Look at the one time where he rolled out to the left and then pretended like he was going to roll all the way back to the right and gave, gave up about 30 yards before he finally threw it out of bounds. Like, to me, there's small signs that you could see like, oh, I see exactly what's happening here. I see that when you get pressure on him, he does speed up a little bit and his mechanics do go right in the trash. And it's it could be bad. And against this Eagles team, the one thing that we know they have is they have the ability to, to pressure the passer. They could pressure the quarterback with the best of them in the league, possibly the best in the league. And I think they will get to Brock Purdy. I think they will sack him a few times, and I think they will make him look very bad, and I think he will make a couple mistakes because when he gets pressed or pressured, his mechanics fall apart, he falls apart slightly, and, and it's not as clean as you want it to be. He'll, make some, he'll give it to you. He almost gave it to the Cowboys a couple times. They got away with it, so again, you are an outcome-based fandom where you guys look at they won. He didn't throw an interception, so he played really well. And it's like, no, no, no. He had a couple that were almost intercepted. Luckily, the ball didn't bounce, you know, bounce against him. But 
like you still made some bad decisions. You still flailed around a lot out there. Now, I know I might be the only one that's seen it. I can't be. But if y'all want to ignore it because it didn't matter in the outcome of the game, let's wait to see after this week what the conversation is about Brock Purdy. At the same time, it blows my mind that everyone's loving Brock Purdy's ability, right, to play and control the team. And how Look how good he is. Look how good he is. Look how well he's playing. Do You got to keep him in there. You don't take him out. This guy wins the Super Bowl. That's your quarterback going forward. He's taking over the franchise. They say all of those things. At the same time, they say they acknowledge that he's being protected. They acknowledge that he doesn't have to do too much. They acknowledge that Kyle Shanahan is protecting him and is kind of like making it easy for him. That he doesn't have to carry the load. That he doesn't have to carry the team. That he is able to just, hey, just throw it out to that guy on the two-yard route. He's going to go get 60. So it's like, so is he really good or is he benefiting from from the team he has around him? I would say that the reality and the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think Brock Purdy's good, but I think he's greatly benefiting from the team around him. That's what I think. I think that's indisputable. That he's 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 playing well. He's doing a good job, but he's also greatly benefiting from the team around him. And that's no knock. That's no fault of his. That's no hate against him. Again, this is not hate. This is just, can we just acknowledge the reality instead of pretending like like we're seeing the the rise of the next great quarterback in the NFL. We're seeing a player do well with what he's being asked to do, which is very little. They don't throw the ball outside the numbers. They throw the ball in the middle. They try to give him safe throws. If he does throw it outside, it's safe. He does he's not being asked to make all of the throws. He's not being asked to carry anything. He's not being asked to be the catalyst. He's being asked don't don't screw it up. Don't turn the ball over. Don't put us in bad spots. Just take the easy throw. If it's not there, throw it away. Don't worry about it. So it's odd to me that you can acknowledge he's really good, but also he's really not asked to do much. So then how is how is he proving to you that he's really good? And haven't we seen this before? A young quarterback comes in, plays really well, and you think we're going to go forward with this guy, and then it kind of backfires? Anyone heard of Dak Prescott? Hello? Is that not what happened with Dak? He came in as a rookie, fourth-round pick, so nobody expected anything from him. He came in. He played really well. The team was stacked. They didn't ask him to do too much. They relied heavily on the running game. They got into the playoffs. They, They almost won a playoff game. And then it was like, well, we're going forward with this guy. We found our quarterback for the future. And then the longer you go forward with him, you start realizing, oh, wait a second. If the team around him isn't great, eh. Like does anyone does anyone does anyone believe that Brock Purdy could go to Carolina next year and do the same thing? No, right? Does anyone think that Brock Purdy can go to Chicago and do the same thing? No, right? Because they're not good. Because Brock Purdy is benefiting from the fact that the team is really good. Like why are we not acknowledging that fact? Why are we trying to pretend like Brock Purdy is capable of going to any franchise in the NFL and elevating them? He's not. He's not elevating the 49ers. He's just holding down the fort and not ruining it, not messing it up. That's not hate. That's acknowledging the truth. That's all I'm saying. Just acknowledge the truth. That's all I want from you. Stop playing games. So as I said, this is going to be short, short and sweet. Um, 
But before I do go, I do want to make sure that I, I dig into the Cowboys and we talk about the game. This loss uh, disappointed me greatly. And usually when a team that I'm a fan of loses, I usually don't blame one individual or one play. I usually don't do that. I'll usually say, ah, oh, man, they lost. I can't believe if this happened, if this happened. And I kind of go through and see all the things that could have happened or the things that did go wrong. But in this game, it, it upset me because... The reason they lost is obvious. And the reason they lost is because of their quarterback. There's no doubt about it. See, I came in uh, last week and I talked about how Herbert is going to get is getting flack for not winning that game against the Jags. And I said, I don't think that's his fault. I don't think he deserves the blame for that one. But this one was right in your lap. It was in your lap. You, you can win the game. The deep throw he made to CeeDee Lamb, where CeeDee Lamb had to reach back and catch it and made a great catch. Uh, if that ball is delivered on time, CeeDee Lamb scores a touchdown. You now uh, take the lead. The throw he threw to Gallup, who was going from the right to left on a post across the field, uh, he threw it behind him, like not even close. If he throws that ball on time and out in front of Gallup, at the very worst, you get a big completion. It was like a 45, 50-yard completion. At the very best, if you deliver it on time and out in front, that's a touchdown. Again, tie the game or take the lead. If you don't throw two interceptions and give them short fields, you don't give up those six points. Because the Cowboys defense on both your interceptions gave up three-point field goals. The defense did everything you could ask them to do. Look at the numbers. Look at what they gave up to Debo Samuel. Look at what they gave up to McCaffrey. And you can say, oh, well, look at what look at what Kittle did. Yeah, look what he did. And you scored a grand total of 19 points. 19. Like, what, what more could you ask for? You scored 12 points? You 12? Nah. Nah. So I, in my mind, I'm done with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has been overvalued from the beginning. Um, so his problem right now is inconsistency. He can have a game like he had in Tampa where he looks he looks great. Looks like he's putting it all together. Looks like he's about to go on one of those magical playoff runs that some quarterbacks have in their career. And then he comes back the very next week and looks terrible. And if you go back to his pre-draft scouting report, the biggest thing about him was inconsistent and flashes. His scouting report is full of flashes arm talent, flashes ability to make all the throws, flashes vision. And then it's like on the on the negative, it's like inconsistent reading the field, inconsistent with his eyes, inconsistent with his feet. Accuracy is inconsistent. Like all of that. Like that's what he is. He is exactly what you thought he was before he came into the league. The problem, like I said, was that 2016 Cowboys team was really, really well put together. And the offense was literally handed off to Zeke 25 times, have Dak Prescott throw it 20 to 22 times, use play action, there's going to be guys wide open, bada bing, bada boom, there you go. 
Now, we shouldn't be surprised because they tried to put it all on Dak a few years ago, remember? When they said, when they got rid of Des Bryant, they said, we don't need a number one elite receiver. We have Dak. We can we have Dak and a bunch of twos and threes, and he can elevate them. And it was awful. And he couldn't elevate them. So they went out and they traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. And then once Amari Cooper came in, Dak Prescott, start, Prescott started to look a lot better, didn't he? Because Dak Prescott's not good enough to elevate anybody. He's not good enough to elevate anybody. That's not who he is. That's not who he's ever been. That's not who he is. So you tried this before, and it failed. So you're trying it again to say, well, now we're paying you, so now we need you to elevate people because we don't have the money to to help you out. We don't have the money to build, you know, to get you that top flight number one. And they're in a situation where they're going to have to pay C.D. Lamb. We're like, ah, he might not, you might not have the money for it. He might price himself out of your range because you got Dak. And Dak is supposed to be able to elevate, kind of like Patrick Mahomes did, when you said, we can get rid of Cheetah because we got Mahomes. So get me a bunch of twos and threes in here. He can elevate them. And we're not going to have a star receiver, but he's going to be able to elevate the guys that he's with because of his ability to make plays. That's it. Dak Prescott can't do that. He can't do that. And so for that reason, I'm done with him. You all bought into the hype of 2016. You all bought into the hype of, look at all these numbers he put. Look at his great season he had. Yeah, but they were losing in most of those games. He was throwing a lot of those touchdown passes. He has, like, the record for like most touchdown passes for a Cowboys quarterback, like 36 in a season or something like that, right? But when you look at – I watched those games. A lot of those games, they were down by two, three scores, and they were only throwing the ball, and defenses were kind of playing a little laxed, giving up some stuff. And they didn't win. They weren't great. And so I, if you watch Dak Prescott, and you don't just look at the outcome. Like, here, here's my example. So when Dak Prescott came back, they said, oh, man, Dak Prescott's back. Look, the, the team is now, offensively, they're averaging 35 points a game. No, they're not. As a team, they're averaging 35 points a game. But take into account defensive scores, take into account defensive turnovers in, in uh, the opponent's side of the field where you have short fields. It's not because Dak Prescott is back that they were all of a sudden scoring more. Dak Prescott being back coincided with the defense now improving and getting their feet under them and started to play better, and he benefited from that as well. It's a team effort. We can't only... What what, what just fell? (laughs) We can't only try to highlight Dak and say that Dak is the reason for everything because the team goes as well as the running game goes. Look at his career. We have seven years now. Like, look at his career. You can see when they ha- when they run the ball more than they pass, great record. When they pass the ball more than they run, bad record. Against winning teams, losing record. Against playoff teams, losing record. Do you know in every single playoff game he's played in, he's thrown an interception? Every one. When the, when the, when the, when the competition ratchets up, Dak Prescott comes back down to reality. Because what you have is when you're going against bad teams, you have the opportunity to look really good. So if you're a good quarterback going against a bad team, you're going to look like a great quarterback. But when you're a good quarterback going against a great defense, you're going to look like a bad quarterback. 
Like, that's like the scale, right? Like, you can't look great against those teams because you don't have the ability to look great against those teams. You are what you are. And that is all you will ever be, is what you are. And Dak Prescott is what he is. We see what he is. We know what he is. As a fan of the Cowboys, if you still sit here and say, I believe Dak Prescott can win us a championship, you're out of your mind. Why can he win you a championship? Could he get there? Sure. The only chance you have is to build up the rest of this roster around him, give him the best offensive line, the best running back, the best receivers, the best defense, and then sure, he could probably do some things. If you put him in San Francisco, I he could do some things because everything around him is perfect and you don't need him to do the things. So he can he can get you a throw here or there when you need it. Like if you if you have that team, yeah, he could he could do he could do what Brock Purdy's doing. Sure. But now imagine if you ask Brock Purdy to do what you're asking Dak to do. You wouldn't believe that he could do it either. So the Dak Prescott in, in Dallas in 2016 is scarily, scary similar to what Brock Purdy is dealing with now. And I'm worried for the 49ers fans who are about to endure what I've been enduring since 2016, which is I'm going to now go forward with this rookie who on the surface, you would say, has not shown you anything that says he can elevate the team. Dak Prescott, they won 11 straight games. He had a good rookie year, but it wasn't because they were asking him to carry the team. They were not. They were asking him to be a manager. Manage the game. Don't make the big mistakes. And he was good at that. And that's what you're asking Brock Purdy to do is just manage the game. Don't make big mistakes. Don't take big chances. Don't make big mistakes. But what happens when the time comes you have to pay him? So now the rest of the roster has to restructure. You got to get rid of some guys to make the cap room to make it work. And now you need Brock Purdy to elevate others and he can't do it. You're in the same situation. Dak Prescott is not the franchise quarterback who can elevate a roster. Now, look, Dak Prescott is one of the best guys in the NFL Great person, great leader, great teammate. I have no problems with him in terms of intangibles. He's all of those things. And that's why you that's why you you banked your future on him. You saw the production on the field. You saw he was a good, solid player. You saw they had the great intangibles. You saw the, the, the relationship with the team and everyone loved him and rallied around him. And they still do. And you thought, well, if he keep, continues to improve year after year, well, then we're set. We got our guy. The problem is, is he hasn't improved year after year. And even his improvements he's made, he was not he was not drafted to be that guy. And you think, oh, we got lucky. You know, you didn't get lucky. You got exactly what you drafted. A guy who has great intangibles and against the right teams and the right matchups. And if you surround him with a great team, a great roster, he can be successful, but he's never going to be the reason you're successful. He can help. He can be at peace. He can't be the puzzle. He can't be the headliner of everything. He's got to be, he's got to play off of a running game. That's just the way it is. No arguing it. You can't argue it. Look at the look at the career. We have years now of this. It's not like something that you're just coming up with today. Or it's not a, a rapid reaction. It's not an instant reaction or a Monday morning quarter. It's none of that. We have all the data we need to see to show it. So the offseason plan, in my opinion, for the Cowboys needs to be load up with weapons. You need to load up. I think the defense has shown you that it's solid. I think the defense is good enough. I think most of the core guys you have locked up and the ones you don't have locked up, you can either replace or you can kind of get them at a good price. So you got guys like Jonathan Hankins in the middle who was a midseason trade. You can you can retain that guy. 
I don't think he's going to have a big market, but that's a good that's a big piece for you in terms of the run defense. So I like the idea of keeping him. But at the same time, you know, the the other guy, the core is is pretty much set. And you don't know who your DC is going to be because I think Dan Quinn is out of there. I hope he doesn't go. I hope he stays because I think what he's built and what he can continue building by getting in better pieces, I think we could have a real dominant defense. I think it could rival Seattle's defense, Legion of Boom back in the day. But I think he's going for a head coaching job, as he should. I'm not mad at him for doing that. That's probably the right decision to make. But I, I, I would almost say, unless a defensive player that is just undeniable falls into your lap, I don't think you touch defense until later in the draft, if if at all. I'd be fine with saying we're going to bring back the same defense and we're just going to load up on weapons on offense. I think you need to get some playmakers in here. So with that being said, we have a bunch of free agents for the Cowboys coming up this year. A bunch of guys who are going to be uh, free agents and you can either re-sign them or let them walk. So what I want to do is play a little game called uh, Cash or Trash, which is are we going to cash out on these guys and pay them or are we going to toss them away in the trash? Uh, let's start with Cooper Rush. Now, Cooper Rush came in and did his job in the in the beginning of the year going 4-1, and one, did exactly what you wanted him to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a backup quarterback. If your quarterback uh, goes down, your starting quarterback goes down, nobody in the world expects you to be able to be that successful. 4-1 was a shock to everyone, including me. No one thought that they would go 4-1 and one in five games without Dak Prescott. So that was a surprise. Uh, and if that happens, then great. But that could happen with a rookie. That could happen with a cheap veteran. That could happen, you know, for a multitude of reasons. They didn't go 4-1 and one because Cooper Rush is so good. They went 4-1 and one because they had the good game plan and they, they asked him to do what he's capable of doing and the defense stepped up and all that stuff. Like, they weren't putting up great numbers. Right? But he maintained and that's all you need. But I would not sign him back because I think the number he's going to command is going to be higher than I'd be willing to pay for my backup quarterback. And I think I'd rather draft a guy late, put him in his backup, and see if he can develop into being someone who could be a starter for me down the road. Now, Tony Pollard is also up as a free agent. And I got to tell you, I'm trashing this one too. My reason being simple. Running backs are a dime a dozen. I don't think Tony Pollard has done anything in his time in Dallas that you feel like there's no one else on this planet that could do the same. You see that I what I would compare it to is Isaiah Pacheco out of Rutgers, who now plays for Kansas City. That's a guy, if you're looking for someone like Tony Pollard, that's Tony Pollard. That's the same guy. A running back who's a little uh, tougher and in, in, in running inside than you think, but also has the speed to break it out and also can, can catch in the pass game. You could find those guys in college. Trust me, I'm starting to go through some of the running backs in the draft, and I'm seeing a bunch. So I'm not going to sign this guy back for what he needs. Also, he's coming off of a major break in, in, in his leg. Like, you don't know if he's going to come back the same. You don't know if he's going to lose a step. You don't know if mentally he's going to be take, you know, a few weeks to get his bearings under him. And then it's like, on the other hand, if I'm the owner, I'm like, yo, you guys, the offense hasn't used him as much as we want to anyway. He hasn't gotten his money worth. So when you look at running backs, you're in the you would say, we need him because look at Zeke. Zeke is done. Zeke is trash. Zeke is blah, 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 blah. We need to get rid of him. Yeah, but you weren't saying that when he was up to get re-signed. And you wanted to re-sign him because at the time you re-signed him, you thought he's peak condition, but running backs fall apart. And if you're going to give Tony Pollard more carries, more touches, ask him to do more stuff, well, you don't know how he's going to hold up to that because he's never had to. So you might be getting yourself in a situation where you sign a guy 
for three, four years. And then after year two, you're sitting there thinking, oh, God, what have we done? So I would I would let Tony Pollard walk, too. And you got Dalton Schultz, a tight end, like a good tight end. But guess what? Like, you're not top of the league. You're not irreplaceable. I'm letting him walk, too. The amount of money he's going to command, for me, is not worth it. If I were them, I would let him walk, and I would see if I can get the best tight end in the draft in the first round, that's what I would do. If I can get the second or third best tight end in the second or third round, I would do that. I think you got uh, Michael Mayer out of uh, Notre Dame. You got um, Denzel Washington out of Georgia. You've got um, and you've got Dalton Kincaid out of uh, Utah. Those are like the top three to me as of right now. I haven't watched everybody yet, but as of right now, those would be like my top three. If I can get any one of them at any point in the first three rounds, I'm doing it. And I feel like all three of them would be better than Dalton Schultz or at the very least would be able to give you the same level of production. So now I'm like, all right, so I can save money by drafting a guy in the draft and spend a little less money because Dalton Schultz is probably going to bring in at least six, seven million a year, right? You would think that sounds reasonable. And someone else is probably going to want to sign him because he's a he's a athletic tight end. He can could, he could make plays out in the pass game. I know Dak loves him and Dak likes to throw it to him. But look, if you had somebody better, it would be better. <laughs> you got Noah Brown, who's up. Um, he played a lot this year. He was forced into it with Gallup being out. He was like basically your number two for a while. I think I resigned him because I think he's going to be really cheap. And I think he also plays special teams. So that's a valuable asset to have a guy that can do multiple different things for you. Fill multiple positions. He's been there for a while. He does have a good rapport with Dak. And if you need a fourth receiver, he's there. If you need him to step in for a game or two, he can do a decent job for you. So I would resign him. But uh, at the right price, I wouldn't sign him for much. I would probably try to pay him less than I have been paying him. But that's a guy that I would I would bring back. Uh, Terrence Steele on the offensive line, I'd absolutely bring him back. Um, I think he was he was doing really well. I would bring him back, but I would also look at drafting someone later in the draft to see if maybe we can develop someone to kind of do exactly what he did. But he's still young. I believe he's only like 25 or 26. Um, and when he was in there, he was playing really well. And if you compare him, right, with Ty- with Tyler Smith, like then you're looking at it like, hey man, like that's a good pairing. Two young guys on the anchors on the outsides. I like that. I would resign him for the right price. Um, he would be somewhat of a priority for me. You got Connor McGovern at guard for the right price. I would resign him, but. If it gets too high, I would say, look, we can we can go draft a guard or we could find a guy that could come in and be solid at guard. Like we don't Connor McGovern isn't irreplaceable. Like he, he's probably the weak link, the weak link on the offensive line. So if you needed to replace that, if you have Smith next to him, um, you can kind of you can kind of work around having a, a, a less than stellar guard, which is probably what he is anyway. Leighton Vander Esch, a linebacker, I'd let him walk. Um, simply because I think his injury history is concerning. I think his neck problems is concerning. I think you could pencil him in for missing time every year. I think that's just going to happen. And when he is out there, he has moments where he flashes that he's really good. And then there's moments where it's like, hey, he's okay. So I think if that's the case, if, if, if there's, if there's anything you should know by what I'm saying now, it is, if I can get better, if there's a potential to get better, I'm going to go try to get better. I'm not going to overspend to stay where I'm at. I'd rather underspend for the chance to get markedly better. 
And there are some good linebackers in this draft. And there's always good linebackers in the draft. Because Leighton Van Der Esch's bar is not so high that a rookie couldn't pass it. You can. If you start listing off the best players on the defense, he's going to come somewhere down the bottom. When you get to 11, he'll probably be somewhere between 10, like between 8 and 11, as far as if you're listing the best defensive starters. Like he's not one of the top guys you have on defense that you feel like we can't lose this guy. Anthony Brown at corner, that's a guy that I would love to re-sign at the right price. Um, but coming off injury, though, it's going to be tough, so I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the way it is. And then uh, Donovan Wilson at safety, I would re-sign him depending on who's going to be the defensive coordinator and if they have a plan for him. I think if you're keeping Dan Quinn, I keep Donovan Wilson around. I think he's perfect for what he's being asked to do. Um, but outside of that, I might let him go. And then Brett Maher, look, man, I'm letting Brett Maher go. Kickers are a dime a dozen. That's just the way it is. You know, I'm not keeping a kicker on staff just because. That's my time, y'all. Listen, I want to thank you all for coming back this week. Thanks for joining. This is your first time uh, listening. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you'll come back next week. Look, this was a little bit of a short episode this week. Like I said, I'm under the weather, so I'm not trying to uh, run too long. I don't. Y- y'all hearing me sniffle and cough and sneeze and all that stuff, and that's not fun for your ears. I'm not trying to assault you. So look, uh, let's get into the picks real quick before we go. I got the Bengals uh, by one and a half over the Chiefs. I'll take the Bengals. I think they went outright. I think Joe Burrow is getting to the Super Bowl again, and I think this time they're going to win. The Bengals kind of look, they look like they're playing the way that I anticipated the Bills to be playing, which is that team that looks like we almost had it and we are determined to get it back. So I like the way they look. I like the way they're playing. I like the way their defense has played all year. They've been, again, consistent. The Chiefs can be great, but then they also have games like they did against the Colts where they can be really bad. So it is possible you can have those days where the Chiefs look really bad. And if you make them have to drive the length of the field and not give up chunk plays, that's your best chance. And I like the Bengals to be able to make them have to drive and not give up the chunk plays. So I like the Bengals to win. We got the Eagles favored by two and a half uh, versus the 49ers. As much as I hate it, I'm taking the Eagles. I think that uh, I think the Eagles' pass rush is legit. I think their secondary is very opportunistic, and I think that Brock Purdy under pressure. I think against the Cowboys, you saw, and I think the I think the Eagles saw it too. That when you put some pressure and put some heat on him, he he he's he's ready to make mistakes. He 100% is ready to make those mistakes. And I just think that uh, it's one of those things you look at and you say, this is going to be the game where the things you've been saying, well, we haven't seen this. We haven't seen this. We haven't seen this. You're going to see it's going to show up this week. Um, I'm willing to bet whatever you want to bet on it, that Brock Purdy will be pressured and will throw a couple of interceptions and and look exactly like what you thought he was. um, Because let's face it, like he is what he is. Right? You, you, he got drafted that place for a reason. His scouting coming out is what it is. It, you are what you are, basically. You can get better, sure. But if your foundation is shaky, you have a long road to climb before you can get to that top level. And how is he going to get there in, in, in seven, eight games? It's not going to happen. So I like the Eagles to win that game. I think we're going to have a Bengals-Eagles Super Bowl. 
Uh, either way it goes down, we will be back next week to talk about it. Listen, follow me on all social media at cyber underscore pod. That's S I B R underscore P O D. Follow me on there. Uh, Hit me up. Let me know in the comments what you're, what you're thinking about, some of the takes I have, and if you think I'm crazy, if you think I'm smart, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm right, whatever it is, let me know. Let's get this uh, community built. Let's build it up. Let's get these fans going. Let's have these sports debates. Um, thank you all again. Listen, enjoy the games. We'll be back next week to talk about it all. Peace.